0: Good morning church. Good morning. Man, I, uh, I begged and pleaded with Hunter for our last song right before I came up here to be good, good father, uh, you know, because I just thought that would be ironic. No chuckles? Good gosh. Wow. Man. Well, turn your Bibles this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, hey, so we're in a series called At the Movies, and uh, obviously uh, this morning is Scooby-Doo. Uh, you should all hopefully know some version of this if you have if you don 't know who scooby doo is you 've been living on a different planet, I suppose, um, because he is a popular character in cartoon shows, movies, all that this that and the other. Uh, most of his films are what mysteries, and so we 're diving in today to this film, I think it was in two thousand and three, as you could certainly tell by the garb that they were wearing, and what was that sugar ray the band and that uh terrible music but anyway. Uh, This movie specifically, uh, Scooby-Doo, obviously they're solving a a mystery, but what uh, the biggest problem in the movie is their friendship. Their friendship is broken, and if you know anything about Scooby-Doo and the whole crew, the whole kind of premise of them is certainly the mystery solving side, but I think their friendship is probably the most key facet in this entire show and movie and series. And so Velma, Fred, and Daphne, Scooby, and Raggy, as Scooby likes to call him, uh, have a a, a fight at the beginning of this movie, and their friendship is broken, and so for a couple of years they go their separate ways, they're trying to solve mysteries on their own, and yet this one mystery comes in front of them, and they have to link back up to solve the case, and along the way they find themselves friends again. They find a way through the disgruntled moments and through all of the breakups and as I watched this movie, as I should probably say, as I suffered watching through this movie uh, with my children because they absolutely loved it, um, I found myself kind of thinking about some friendships in my life over the years that maybe went through some sort of breakup. I mean, we've all probably been there, right? You had friends at some point in your life, and today those friends that you had, you may no longer have them in your life today. Maybe you're in the a, in a middle of a, a fight with your friends right now, maybe there, there's a, a, a heart, a, a, I guess a, a breaking of your heart when you think about this. When you think about the, the relationships that have been lost. May, was there ever a point in your t- time with these friends that you maybe fantasized kind of about, hey, when we get older, when we retire, when we do this, we're going to go on vacation together. We're going to live on the, the same street together. Our kids are going to grow up. And now you look around and those friends that you kind of fantasized having these moments with are no longer around. Uh, I, I can think of my, my wedding, my, my best man, uh, and then my groomsman. I only have one still in my life. For Amy, she only has one still in her life. Fifteen years later, these people are, are no longer in our lives. One study showed that only 30% of high school friendships last into adulthood. It's natural for friendships to change. Uh, As we grow and life moves us in different directions, our friends change. As we kind of, you know, develop and and get older and jobs move us in different cities and things kind of change the way we work and change the way they work, we find ourselves kind of at this impasse with our friends. We go, hey, what once was is no longer. But what I find so disheartening is the more people that I speak to about real friends, like who are your real friends? Who are the people that speak into your life? many people don't really have good friends. They have family, oftentimes, but they don't have good friends. They have acquaintances. They have work friends, which as you, as you know, if you haven't learned already in life, work friends are really not friends at all, right? Because when you get another job, do you talk to them anymore? They're just work friends. They're just people that you kind of drink coffee with and you know hang around the water cooler with, and really you could call them acquaintances, but we'll call them friends just for the you know lack of better terms right here. But I- if we're honest... We, we have people in our life that have faded away and sometimes we find ourselves in this place of feeling lonely. Like we, we just, we want more friends. We want better friends. And so what I want to talk about this morning is friendship. I want to lean into this idea of what, what biblical friendship is. And I think it's very important for us in our city as, as we know it. So most of the people in this room, i do not going to say that, a percentage of the people in this room are from Macon or the middle Georgia area. There's another percentage of people in this room that are not from Macon or middle Georgia. For all you Maconites, let me tell you what I hear from most people who aren't from Macon. Dang, it's hard to make good friends in the city, right? Most people that I know that are not from Macon have found it very difficult to make friends in our city. I, I'm not going to sit here and talk about why or how or all these things, but I bring it up because as the church, we want to be people that embrace people. We want to engage them. Not just when you walk in with a hay on a Sunday morning, but I believe the church is set up to make friends. And so, It comes to a place where if you find yourself from making, maybe you need to figure out throughout this sermon or throughout the weeks to come, God working in your life, how you can befriend more people. And I'm not telling you to take your friend list to 5 to 10 or 15 because truthfully, I think most studies have shown if you have five really good friends in your life, that's a full plate. But what most statistics are showing, I think it was something like 65% of adults I read this week, 65% do not have more than two good friends in their life. Those two could also then be a family member. And when I look towards, and we'll talk about some of the statistics and some of the things in our, in our world that are kind of driving these things, but when I look towards this issue and then I go towards the Bible, I think God gives us some ways to make good friends. He gives us some, some qualities and some things that you and I can do to engage people, whether they're from our city or whether they're from a different city, whether they work with us or whether they, you know, find themselves at a different place of employment, we can make good friends. Part of our mission is to love God and love people. And truthfully, we can say that we love people, but if we don't make good friends out of people, do we actually? Are we just like good Southerners, right? Like we'll walk into a church or a restaurant. Hey, man, how you doing, buddy, man? Yeah, yeah, let's hang out. In your head, you're going, don't ever call me. Right, never call me. I'm gonna say this, but never do it. I I think Jesus wants us to move deeper, and I think if you find yourself in a place right now going, "I don't want to get any deeper with some of these people," I hear that. Maybe the Holy Spirit can move your heart. That's just the wind. Don't worry about it. Hopefully, (laughs) I see all. I see all your eyes. Y'all are freaking out. I'm pretty. We have a, a piece of roof. I'll have to edit this out of the sermon later. We have a piece of roof that's flapping. And I've tried to get it fixed, and we're working on it, but that's what that was. I bet everything on it. So anyway, <laughs> oh, here we go. So really the thing we're going to lean into is what are, what are good friends according to the Bible? What are the qualities that we should look for in friends? And, and I want to bring up first, this is not our main passage, but I want to bring up kind of the most famous friendship passage in the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 18. This isn't our main text. We'll get to that here in just a minute. 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is the, the Bible passage of Jonathan and David. The, ver, the first four verses. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him to that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David, because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. And his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. Now, I, w- I want to just kind of quickly unpack this so that we can get a good understanding for some, some biblical friendships as we move into our, our main text. So, Jonathan had every single right right here to absolutely hate David, because Jonathan is the, the son of the king. And so Jonathan had everything in line for him to be the next king. But God bypasses Jonathan, bypasses the line of Saul, and gives the kingship to David. And so Jonathan could have been bitter. He could have worked really hard to work, to overthrow David, to to work against his his position now. But yet, what what does it say that God did to Jonathan's heart? He said he knit him to David. And so he befriended David. And this is just a, a kind of a, a starting launching point to show us that we need good friends. Like even David, who is an amazing king for most of his time, did he mess up in large ways? Absolutely. But it, even David needed good friends. As scripture will we'll point later, is we need friends to lift us up and to stand by us. But one thing that I learned early in life, my mom taught me, uh, I would come home from school, and I would say, hey, Mom, I, I want to go to this person's house. And, and she would say, hey, you can't invite yourself over, right? That's, that's not polite. You don't need to do that. And I'm like, well, Mom, how do I, how do I, how do I get to this person's house? They got the cool things, and I want to hang out with them. If I can't invite myself over, how am I supposed to do this? And she said, here's how you do it. If you want to have good friends, be a good friend. If you want to have good friends, be good. A good friend and, and I believe that what Jesus is going to point us to today is to being a good friend. Did you know that only forty three percent of adults felt support from their friends in the last three months only forty three percent We all want good friends, but are we willing to be good friends in order to get good friends? So our text this morning is John chapter fifteen beginning in verse 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. We'll get you one. I'd love for you to turn there with me. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. We're going to dive in there. So if you will stand in honor of reading God's Word with me. John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You may be seated. So I just want, kind of want to walk through this text really quickly. So the first thing that we see from Jesus right here is he says, love one another as I have loved you. Now on the surface, th- this seems no different to the charge of all believers, right? When he looks at uh, the, the people around him earlier and he says, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. This, this seems like a very similar statement but when you dive into it what it, what Jesus is actually saying in this moment is look towards me he's pointing to himself when when he says love one another as I have loved you he's not saying love somebody else as you love yourself he's saying love somebody else as I have loved you and so he, he's giving us a kind of a deeper meaning and meaning in that and then he follows that statement by saying greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, let's let's give this a little bit of context. This is a charge, this this passage, and what we're looking at, this is really not necessarily a charge for friendship. He's not coming out and saying, hey, you want to be a good friend? Go, Go die for your friend. He's not not saying that, but he's not specifically stating that in this case. This whole situation, he wants the people to know that he is the best friend that there is. Why? Because he's going to die for the people that don't even want to befriend him. So he says, Love others. Love one another as I have loved you. This is a charge for all of us who read this text. To understand that in order for us to be friends with God, we must accept Jesus. Okay, great. We're in church. I'm glad we talked about accepting Jesus. What does that have to do with friendship? When you read this text, you may ask that question, all right? How, how does loving and accepting Jesus and becoming friends of God teach us how to be good friends? Well, you, you could look at this passage in a, in a little different way. He, it could be stated like this. In order for us to be true friends, for friends with, with a pure heart, we must know God. Before you push back too much, l- let's lean into this. 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So the Holy Spirit, through John, is saying that you will never truly know love unless you know God. Go back to the words of Jesus. We can know friendship By accepting Jesus as our ultimate friend. Now, does this mean that people who are not Christians, who who don't accept Jesus, does this mean that they can't be, quote-unquote, good friends? No. Let's walk through this. There are many good friends, quote-unquote. Now, this whole idea of good, I'm going to say this here and there. We need to understand, when you and I say good... I think what we mostly mean is what we define as as good, right? And and so some of you in this room, if I said, hey, are there good people in, in the world? You would probably say yes. I believe, biblically, if I walked to God and said, hey, Jesus, are there good people in the world? He would say no. And here's why. Because the definition of good is defined by God. Like, good is holy, is perfect. When God creates the world before the fall, what does he call it? Good. And then the fall happens, brokenness happens, and it is no longer good. So, bear with me in this sense, when we say that to find the the true friendship, we need to find a true relationship, a true friend in Jesus. Jesus. That doesn't necessarily mean in a worldly term when we say good that someone can't be a good friend because we see it. But what it does mean, is, I think the, there's a partial truth that like false prosperity gospels teach right here. See, prosperity gospel people teach that you'll find your best you in Jesus. And that is a partial truth. Because what does Jesus do to us? He makes us new. So the old is dead and gone, and the new has come. And so in a sense, we do become our best selves in Jesus. Now, we will never become a perfect self in Jesus on this side of eternity, but we need to kind of wrestle and understand that in order to be the best friend that we can be, to find our inner best friend, we've got to have a model of what that looks like in front of us and the power of the Holy Spirit to push us in that direction. Are, are you tracking with me? You can nod or shake your head. That's fine. I am keep going either way. So let me, let, me un, let me go a little deeper and unpack this. Ro, Romans 1 kind of outlines fallen nature. So in Romans 1, what, you, what you'll see is that there were people, all people, kind of can look out in the world and we can understand that there is a creator. But yet, what the scripture said is that we suppress the truth of a creator and then we kind of create our own little g-gods in our hearts. And so we lift ourselves up and we we make ourselves be the, the good in the world we we become the people that we think define good. So so will people outside of Christ do "quote unquote good things? Yes. One pastor puts it like this. The difference between the atheist and the Christian in this sense is that the atheist may act ethically for certain reasons, i.e. not wanting to go to jail or disrupts social order, or it makes them look good to others. But he has no ultimate reason for acting ethically because there is no ultimate moral authority that exists over each sphere of his life. Without this ultimate authority, each atheist defines morality on his own terms. Although his morality is influenced by the remnants of the morality from the image of God within... Along with the strict, uh, the the strict and constraints of the culture and society in which the atheist exists. So, if you can grab that, what this means is that the Christian friendship is a better friendship. Now, here's where we get in trouble. Pastors will get up and be like, "Man, the only way to know love is to to to, to love God," and we'll think of people who didn't know God, but seemingly loved well. Right? You've probably gone through that thought already in your mind this morning. We'll think of friends who had no relationship with Jesus, but on our list, they were some of the best friends that we ever knew. And the problem with that structure is that we're comparing what we know is good and what we know is this list to the ultimate list that God has. And so the ultimate list, all of us have fallen short of that glory, right? That's what he says in in Romans 3.23. But what continues to move is that when we give our lives to Jesus, he then makes us something new. He makes us something better than we were before, and this includes friendship. Does this mean that Christian friendship is perfect or all of a sudden better because somebody walked down an aisle than non-Christians? No. If I didn't get confusing enough this morning. Why? Why is it not all of a sudden better, Chris? Because your body, your flesh is still fallen. And so in, in this place that we find ourselves, and that is a place of, as a Christ follower, I reside in a fallen body. Paul says I do the things that I don't want to do, and the things that I do want to do, I don't. He is describing this striving for my new spirit is is yearning for the things of god but my flesh continues to pull me down in in some sense it's this idea that we talked about two weeks ago satan is constantly battling against our lives and if we are not armed every single day even if we are armed every single day you and i will falter but our spirit still strives for perfection So so the first point that we see in this text from Jesus is that to be the best friend possible, we must have a relationship with the model friend, Jesus. Like if you want to be a good friend, you need to have a relationship with the best friend who ever lived, Jesus. That's, That's point number one. Now we move further in that text. Verse 14, he says, If you are my friend's... If you do what I command you. So what Jesus then calls us to as friends is he calls us to trust. We need to surround ourselves with Christian friends. If you didn't push back enough already, you might push back on this one. But Proverbs twelve six, One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. I heard one person say it like this, Christian friendship is a treasure because it helps us cling to our greatest treasure. So if we have this relationship with Jesus and we have said, hey, he is the best friend, like he is the best model for friendship, and I want to be a good friend, I give my life to Jesus, I trust him for all things, and then I strive to be like him. Now the question is, who do I have around me in my life Helping spur me on to be more like him. And I would ask you this question. Are your friends trustworthy? Are your friends trustworthy? We live in the most diverse generation ever. 63% of, of the Gen Z that is now coming up say that they enjoy hanging out with people who are different than them. Of those, only 56% say that they are actually comfortable in doing it. For the first time in in human history, across the world, more people live in cities than in rural areas. Now, in the 1920s, America kind of crossed that threshold, but worldwide today, more people live in cities than they do in rural areas. So what this means for us is that more people today are living in more diverse settings than ever before. Now, y- you can see this and, and hear this, and you may think, wow, hanging out with people who, who are different than us, But I mean, that's a really good thing, right? It, it broadens our horizons. A- as a matter of fact, what, what did Jesus do, right? He hung out with the tax collectors and the sinners. And on a surface level, all of that is absolutely true. And diversity is good for us as long as it is in the right way. However, we need to be careful when we begin to assume we understand exactly how Jesus lived without deeply studying the things of his ways and deeply studying his text. Because if we studied the Bible carefully, what would we see from Jesus? That he spent more time with those disciples, the people who were striving to, to, to be like him, striving for the same things. They had similar thought processes in life. Not necessarily similarly, did they, similarly, uh, did they look similarly, but they all strove to be like him. They all strove to be following God. And, and so we get into this situation where we're going, hey, we want to be diverse, we want to be like Jesus and, and reach out to the sinners. But then we might find ourselves in a place where we've stopped looking at the way Jesus lived because what Jesus did is he hung out with the disciples more often and then he did ministry to the ones who were not his disciples. And we get things twisted. Our lines get crossed up. Talking about those Gen Z students who hung out with people who were different than them. 31% of them had close friends with people who don't share the same belief system. Now notice, this doesn't, this doesn't just say they, they kind of went to school together, they had class together, they played sports together. This, this was a statement that Barna did a, this research study. Thousands of students, 31% of Gen Z students had friends, people who spoke into their life that didn't share the same belief system. Now, y- you may have some differing views on parenting and and how how kids should be raised and what they should be exposed to and and I'm not going to get into that this morning but what I what I am going to get into is that our best friends the the people who speak into our life should be people who have similar views who who walk in a similar manner because we need them to spur us on 1 Corinthians 15:33 says do not be conceived bad company ruins good morals see that this this next generation sees hanging out with people who are vastly different than you as a good thing but the bible would warn us to have those around us who are similar to us and that is a good thing and the truth is adults we might be guilty of these same things hebrews chapter 3 beginning of verse 12 says take care brothers lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So we could have people around us who are leading us away from the things of God. And he says, but exhort, meaning lift up, speak into one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened By the deceitfulness of sin. The Bible speaks about Christians gathering regularly. And in some ways, we kind of debate this whole, like, well, how often should we gather? What does a gathering look like? I don't think this is up for debate. Right? He says exhort daily. Like, find people in your life who who love Jesus, and you love Jesus, and then speak things to them about loving jesus daily whether that's a text message an email a snapchat like whatever that looks like he tells us to speak into each other i go back that 42 percent of adults haven't had their best friends speak into their life in three months when's the last time you spoke into someone else's life a christian uh, like a brother or sister in christ and just encourage them for the Lord. Like encourage their faith, encourage their, their parenting, encourage the, the, the relationship they're in, the struggle they're in. Like when is the last time that you were the friend that God is calling you and I to be? God's calling us to have people in our life who have a similar belief that, that we do. And he's saying speak in to them. My last Barna quote, and the whole crowd said amen. It says, teens, 13 and 19, are most likely to form friendships at school. Overall, 86% indicate that they have found friends in their classes. This is more common than school-based extracurricular activities, which is 31%. Athletic teams, which is 25%. Church or another place of worship, which is 20%. Or their neighborhood, which is 24%. So this is overall teens from 13 to 19. 86% of these teens find their friends in their classes. This is just general teens. Now, when they get specific and they look for engaged Christian teens, the, the, these, will, these are going to be people who attend church regularly and attend youth group regularly. 76% are less likely to find their friends In their classrooms they are more likely to form their friendships where they worship almost 66% of them found their best friends at church your student your child regularly attending church and being part of a small group ministry is vital for their future and for their friendship Arguably, it's vital for their faith. Years ago, there, there was a book called Sticky Faith written. I think it came out in like 2010. They took a, they took about, uh, I think it was 5,000 high school seniors, and they followed them for five years. And they saw that at least 50% of these high school seniors fell away from the faith, and all 50% of them had a couple of things in common. One of them, most notably, is that they didn't have more than three or four church family people pouring into their life. Every student that stayed glued to a church had at least five influential Christ followers who poured into their life. Sometimes it was from the church, sometimes it was a coach, a youth pastor, sometimes it was just a family friend, an uncle, a sister-in-law, But all of them who stayed glued into the church, kind of stayed rooted in their faith, all 50%, so 2,500 of these high school seniors, every single one of them had at least five adults who exhorted them to follow Jesus. In our Next Gen Ministries, we want to see our students love Jesus. We want to see them follow him in all that they can do. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to be launching student ministry teams. So in the past, we've kind of put directors over the ministry areas. And what we want to do now is we want to kind of build teams. So we want to have a nursery team of three to five people who are praying, who have passion to see little babies and little toddlers grow up and love Jesus. We're going to do the same thing for all stars and the same thing for student ministry, because what I want to see is I want to see a tribe, a people, a church come alongside of these kids and say, love Jesus. Watch me as I fail. But let's go love Jesus together. Like, here's what it means to follow God. And they're going to partner with parents and they're going to lift you guys up and say, hey, here's some of the things we're doing and we want your engagement as well. But we're looking for those people to no longer just, like, lead over a ministry, but to have people come alongside of these kids and say, here's how we love Jesus. Not just on Sunday mornings, but with events and and with natural hangouts. Adults, we're guilty. Let's just be honest, right? Let's, let's, you know, I shifted this to be next gen because it pulls our hearts and it's true. But here's the thing. You probably have bad friends. You might be a bad friend. Right. You're busy. You have life. You have bills. You you've got family. You, you've got all the things. Who's exhorting you to follow Jesus? Like, who, who's lifting you up to say, hey, run after him? Who, who's who's that person that when all proverbial hell breaks loose in your life that you can call and say, I'm broken, I just need to talk. And I think a step further, that person being so close, they can call you and say, hey, I see some things aren't going the way you want. Can we talk? We find ourselves on an island. We find ourselves in this place of going, well, I've got this friend here, this friend there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think they love Jesus, but we talk about the weather, and we talk about sports, and we talk about business, and we talk about whatever else. When's the last time, seriously, like, I mean, really? Like, think about this in your heart. Because the answer might probably going to hurt. When's the last time you just talked about what God's doing in your life? A lot of us in this room come to church on a regular basis. Many of us are involved in community groups. Some of us do that probably because somebody twisted our arm and you feel like you have to. But I, I truly believe that if we're going to love God, love people, and invest in his kingdom, and, and we start leaning into the ways of Jesus... What it's going to start with is us in this house being friends with each other and exhorting each other. I, I, I praise this community group a lot, so it's not like I hate anybody else's. It's just I see them do it a lot. The Partain group, if you don't know them, Flynn and Gina, raise your hand. They, they're going to be mad at me for doing this. I love you guys. There's several other people in their group. They meet over there on that hallway. We actually call it the Partain group room every Sunday morning, was like 9, now it's like 8.45, doesn't matter. They are invested in each other's lives. Like, it's not just a Bible study. That's That's right, that's why it's 8.45, because I made them leave at 10.05, and, you know, because they're awesome. So, but they're invested. Like, when something breaks down in one of their lives, the other ones are there to help out. And you may find yourself, we find ourselves in this place as a, as a church staff a lot of like, hey, we hadn't seen so-and-so in five or six weeks. Now, we're try, we, we try to have systems in place so that nobody falls through the cracks in our church, but here, here's the reality, and this is going to sound harsh, but I don't mean it that that's harsh. If you aren't plugged into us, how can I be plugged into you? You know what I mean? Like, I, I love each and every one of you. Some of you don't even know you that well, but like I want you to be plugged in Whether it's here at another church, I truly and wholeheartedly believe that when God called you as a follower of him, he called you to church. The word ekklesia is several hundred times in the New Testament. And it's this word that talks about church. And like 99.9% of the times it's mentioned, It is always talked about in a local gathering. One of the things that we are guilty of in our city, and really not just our city, but really the world as it's expanded, and we've got cars, and we've got all these things and networks we can move, is this church gathering is nothing more than a gathering. And I think if we really got to the root of of what God calls us to in friendship. He says, yes, follow me. I'm the best friend. Make sure that you have people around you that you can trust. And the best way first to do that is to have a local body of believers who pour into you, who exhort you daily. That's what we need. That's what you need, whether you know it or not. That coworker who loves Jesus is a good person to have in your life. I would... Just as much as equally say, you need somebody in this church who loves you, who lifts you up. You need to be plugged into a community group. You need to be actively involved in other people's lives because if you do not have that, what does the first part of that Hebrews 13 passage say? You may fall away. You need it. I need it. So get plugged in. We have some groups. If we don't have a group that fits you, lead a group. Nobody wants to lead. I get it. Let's start slow. Go to dinner. Invite somebody to lunch. One of the health notes that I do for uh, when I'm talking to my buddies about our church or another church and, and, and health, health of churches, I ask, how long will it take somebody in your church to come before somebody else invites them to something? It used to be Sunday lunch, but I know less, people, less and less people are doing that now. But how long can someone come and sit in one of your seats? Before someone walks up to them and says, hey, why don't, you, why don't you specifically come to my house for dinner? Why don't you specifically come to the chili cook-off, to football night, to poker night, to whatever? Like, how long? That's a great way to notice what kind of home you have as a church. If you come for six months and nobody ever invites you to anything, it may, it's probably not that they don't like you. It's they had not learned how to be a good friend yet. And you know how we become a church that does that? Not by you sitting around waiting to somebody invite you. You invite them. Period. Let me pray. God, help us to be the friends that you've called us to be. Help us to recognize the model that you've laid out before us in your son, Jesus, who took us from servants and really took us from death to life, but then Says we're no longer servants, but we're now friends of God, and He's brought us into the fold, and we now follow Him. And because of that following, we've seen what it means to be good friends. We've seen what it means to, to sacrifice for others, to love for others, to, to speak for those who can't speak. And so I gotta pray. I pray that we will be a church of friends. That we'll, we'll be a people who truly care for each other it just isn't a gathering it's not just a a place to come but it's a people who come united first and foremost in your name but then secondly together that god has called us here and that you've gifted us for this place help us to to see that there is a way God, as we lean into this message, I I know that many of us could be thinking, well, I have a good friend here, or I have a good friend there, and I'm not sure if I have enough time for any more friends. God, just show us the way. You are a big God. Help us to gain just a, a small picture of the kingdom that you have set before us as we run this race with endurance. Help us to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus. Move us to be more like you. Amen.